0: Why don't you open your Bibles, if you would please, to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 4. We are all aware of the childhood game because everybody has played it and the rules surrounding it. The game is tag, it goes something like this, someone is it, they run around frantically trying to catch people who are running away from them Frantically. So that if they can lay a glove on them, that person becomes it. And then I guess as a prize, you get to run frantically away from them. I don't know how this is ever a game that anybody wins. But I do know this. When you get worn out, and when you feel like you're about to become it, if you can make it to home base, you're safe. Home base, and you're safe. We've been learning since the end of April through the words of Peter in the book of 1 Peter that because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we are exiles in this world. We do not belong. We have seen in the words of Peter that we are harassed and that we are chased because we are different. We are not a part of this world functionally in in a real sense anymore. And, And it can become... Uh, tiring and it can become obnoxious as we try to run and to flee from the the sorrows of the world and the harassment at times of the world but there is a home base for exiles in this world something called the church and today We are going to spend time talking about the exiles church. In fact, it's the first part of a two-part message that will close out 1 Peter called the exiles church. And today, today in starting this discussion, we are going to talk about how an exiles church is led. We're going to talk about leadership and organization today. So aren't you glad that you got out early to, to come uh, to church today to have that kind of experience? I know when you hear that, you, you think, I don't know if there's anything here I need to hear or it's going to help me in any way. But I, I, I can get us going in the right direction by, by doing something that makes it all better usually, uh, history. <laughs> that makes it worse. We're going to talk a little bit about history. It, churches like ours in the 19th and earliest 20th, early 20th century um, frequently had as a part of the leadership structure a group of men called lay elders. Lay elders would work with the pastor who was also considered an elder and together they would have collective oversight over leading the church. But as churches like ours became more sophisticated and more wealthy, that, that, that pastor began to be paid either bivocationally or sometimes vocationally. And their, their, their place in leadership began to, to grow and grow. And then as churches became more and more wealthy and capable of doing these kinds of things, they, they would uh, uh, have more staff come on and more pastors come on. And so you suddenly had a group of paid professionals who were the elders of the church, and the lay elder went away, and they began to congregate kind of land and a group uh, of people uh, called deacons. And if you've been a part of a church over the last 50 years or so, you know what kind of began to transpire with paid professionals leading the church and, and lay people put to second tier status. Uh, three things began to happen. You either had a power trip that the pastor, the paid pastor, the professional without any real accountability, would begin to go on because no one could tell him no or reign or, or, or check him in or even vet his thinking. Or you had a power struggle, and this is what happened most of the time, as there was a real kind of war with the paid professionals, with the lay people for leadership or direction in the church. Or that pastor would serve faithfully and well, and he would have a great relationship with the deacons, but then he'd resign or retire, and then you had a power vacuum. And the church would begin to scatter in a thousand different directions. The reason that those things didn't work is because they were not a reflection of what we see in Scripture. Over and over again in Scripture, you see people, a group of leaders referred to as elders who collectively, and there's... Evidence, we'll look at a verse a little later that actually has evidence of that. That some of them were paid and some of them were not, but collectively together they equally had responsibility for leading the church. And Blue Valley Baptist Church several years ago began to try to recover what we feel like is a biblical way of leading the church so that now I, with 13 other men, have equal responsibility for leading the church. We equally together have one voice. So I have one voice or vote. The other men have one voice or vote. Together, collectively, we move the church in the direction that we feel like God is leading us. And there is really no explicit job description for what it is that we are supposed to do but the closest that we get is in the passage of scripture that we are going to be studying today so I hope you have found first Peter chapter 5 verse 1 would you stand please as we honor the reading of God's word and see what there is to see about the exiles church by way of leadership verse 1 you will receive the unfading crown of glory. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. So again, it's not really a job description, but it it does provide for us some characteristics for elders, for the leaders of the exiles church that can be extraordinarily beneficial for those of us who are elders to know what to do, and also to help the congregation know what God has called the elders to do. And so here are the things that we learn. First, we see that an exiled church is led by partners. Led by partners. Now, there are some stunning, really extraordinary things that Peter says in the Really, the first verse of our passage today that might be lost on us because we are a little disconnected from Peter's real rock star status in the early years of Christian history, the early church. He was, if there was such a thing in the first century church, a rock star. He was the unquestioned leader of the 12 closest to Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, which is the day that God birthed the church through the giving of the Holy Spirit, which inhabited people who had committed and surrendered themselves to follow Jesus, called Jesus followers or Christians. The church was birthed, and Peter stood before the people of Jerusalem and boldly proclaimed the gospel. And on the first day, as the result of the first sermon that was ever really preached by a Christian, Peter, 3,000 people come to know Christ. If you are of a certain age, and a good many in this room are not, but if you are of a certain age, he was the E.F. Hutton of the first century church. When he talked, people listened. And I want you to note how he encourages, exhorts, the elders. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, as a fellow elder. What Peter does there is very interesting. It comes to us into English in two words, but in his language, it was just one word. What he did is he took the word for elder in his language and added to it a prefix, S-Y-M, something in our ears, sim elder. Think symphony. And you get the idea. He is saying, I'm about to challenge you. That's what an exhortation is. I'm about to challenge you. But I'm not going to challenge you on the basis of my superiority. I'm not coming at you from my rock star status. I am coming to you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to challenge you on the basis of my sameness with you. It's not a superior talking to an inferior. It's one elder talking to another. But don't mistake the fact that he was a leader among, among those leaders. He, in fact, alludes to that, he says, as a fellow elder and then also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. The other elders had heard about Jesus from the lips of someone like Peter. But think of this, all of the things that we read about in the Gospels, the four books that outline the life of Christ at the beginning of the part of the Bible known as the Two Testament, all of those things we read about, Peter experienced firsthand. He would hear uh, the Gospels read, perhaps. They weren't written, probably. They were starting to be written at this time. But he wouldn't hear the Gospels uh, written and, and say, I wonder what that was like. He would say, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember when Jesus said that. I remember when I saw Jesus said that. So, so he was a leader among them, but he was not superior to them. There's this thing that comes out in the New Testament over and over again. It's the idea that there may be roles that are different, but, but there's a sameness of the people who occupy those roles. He's talking to them, not as someone who's inherently superior. He's talking to them as a fellow elder, as someone who is a full partner with them in leading the churches that Peter is addressing. But that partnership is not merely between Peter and the elders. It's also with the church. Keep reading again. Verse 1. I exhort, I'm about to challenge the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. What is that a reference to? It's reference to final salvation, ultimate salvation when Christ returns for us and we are able to be with him forever and ever. He is not, therefore, referencing a, a, a blessing that he's going to receive special as an elder. He's reminding himself and the elders that all of us are just going to end at the same place, at the feet of Jesus. We're partners then with the church So so we're partners with one another in leading the church, and we're also partners with the church. This is how an exile's church is to be led. In short, the reason that you have this, the reason that you have a partnership of leaders in partnership with the congregation is because it does the best job of making sure that no one ever forgets that the head of the church is Christ. You have a, a structure set up. Where ultimately no one person is claiming credit to be the leader of the church. All together are pointing to Christ. An elders church, an exiles church is led by partners. Next, an exiles church is led by shepherds, is led by shepherds. Let's look at verse two. He's challenging them on the basis of his sameness, in partnership with the church. He says, "To shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight." Again, Peter's not giving a, a job description, but here's what he does. He holds up something very familiar to them, an image of a, of a role fulfilled in their society, very familiar to them, that of a shepherd. And he says, "You in partnership with one another in leading the church, need to keep in mind. The work of a shepherd. And if you ever need to know what to do, just look to a shepherd. Now, the rest of the New Testament kind of informs that image from us. Let me give you four things that fulfill this shepherding role in uh, the life of an elder and in the life of the church. First of all, an elder, shepherd, feeds. He feeds In in John chapter 21, Jesus is having to do some last-minute corrections with Peter, forming his character because of some things that Peter had done on the night of Christ's arrest that had had revealed there was still a lot of work left to do in Peter. And when he's meeting with him and he's challenging him, he very pointedly and from Peter's perspective hurtfully asks Peter if he loves him three times. And two of the responses to Peter's yes are, feed my sheep. Now, how did Peter process that? Well, I think we have an idea in 1 Peter chapter 2. He talks up to the church about longing for the pure milk of the word to feed off of the, the word of God. The same kind of imagery is used by the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 5, the idea of feeding and feasting on the word of God. One of the primary roles of a shepherd is to feed the congregation. Now, that does not mean that every elder uh, needs to have the, the call or the equipping from God to do what I'm doing on Sunday morning, to preach to the church gathered. But it does mean that every single elder needs to be so rooted in and founded in the Word of God that when error creeps in, they can be able to identify it. So a shepherd, an elder, feeds. Then, obviously, an elder, a shepherd, leads. In fact, one might argue that the whole word oversight is communicating the idea of leadership and that leadership is a strong and intentional leadership in ways that might be uncomfortable for us to even think about in a hyper individualistic world like ours in 1 Peter 5:17 a man named Paul is writing to an elder named Timothy to give further instruction to the elders in his uh, realm and uh, he says to him, Let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. That honor is the idea of remuneration financially, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. That second part's not really what I'm worried about. I'm, I'm talking about the idea that elders who rule well. That doesn't mean they're to be heavy handed, dictatorial. That's not what it's saying. But it does say quite clearly that a role of the elder is to lead purposefully and directly the church. So, uh, a shepherd, an elder is to feed, they're to lead. The next thing they're to do is to care, to care for the church. In that episode where Jesus is challenging Peter to reform his character around Christ, remember he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Peter says three times, yes, the last one in a painful way. Twice Jesus says, feed my sheep, but one of them he says, tend my sheep. Care for my sheep. Uh, and this idea of care is actually such a big job that the New Testament creates two different groups that partner in the care. The elders and the deacons. That's their primary job. In fact, the word deacon itself means servant and carries with it, if you translate the pieces of it hard, the idea of moving through the dust of just doing the the laboring of of the work, of, of caring for the church. And how it usually breaks down is that the, the deacons are providing for the physical care of the church and the elders are providing for the spiritual care for the church. Now, that does not mean that if you come to an elder with a physical need, they're going to say, well, that's not my job. You need to talk to a deacon. And that doesn't mean if you go to a deacon for a spiritual need, they're going to say, well, oh, that's not my job. And you need to talk to an elder. They both will have overlap, but primarily as groups, Elders are providing that spiritual care, and deacons are providing that physical care. So, a shepherd, an elder, is someone who feeds, who leads, who cares, and then finally, protects. He protects. When Paul, who I spoke of earlier, was about to to leave a group of elders in a region called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey... He says, now you need to know that when I leave, this is Acts chapter 20, you need to know when I leave that wolves will come in from among you to devour the flock. He's saying to them, you need to be alert to threats to the health and the well-being of the church, and you need to be ready to defend Christ's church, even with your very life. So what are those threats? Well, I think they're pretty easily identified by saying they are um, doctrinal deviation, they are depravity, and they are division. Doctrinal deviation, depravity, and division. Doctrinal deviation, the idea that an aberrant teaching creeps into the church and uh, begins to take them away from the truth of the gospel. In fact, we're going to be looking in the month of August at a tiny weird little book at the end of the New Testament called Jude where that is in fact what's going on where where doctrinal deviation has crept in and the elders are being called to defend it. The next thing is depravity. The idea that sinful behavior can take root in a believer or in the life of a church and that needs to be identified and rooted out. And then finally division. Uh, Churches, especially in our modern world uh, began to create ideological camps and invest in those ideological debates a a power and a passion that should be reserved only for the most significant theological debates. And I'm talking about, is Jesus God or not? Is Jesus the only way to heaven or not? And we're investing that in a whole host of things that you know all about. And that's division. And and elders are to be on the lookout for those kinds of of division. So that's what a shepherd does. A, a shepherd is to, is, to, is to feed God's flock. They are to lead God's flock. They're to care for God's flock. And then, and then finally, they are to protect God's flock. There's one other thing that we are told here. Not only is an exiles church led by partners, not only is an exiles church led by shepherds, finally, an exiles church is led by stewards. And by that I mean they lead. They feed, they lead, they care, they protect, knowing that the church is not theirs. It is God's. And that begins to come out in the biggest part of our verse today. He says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And then he has some polar opposites here to kind of highlight what he means. He says they're to exercise this oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. In other words, an elder is not put in that position because no one else would do it. It's not that kind of thing. They are not put there because they were asked and they thought, well, I guess I got to take my turn and take my lumps. They are to do it willingly, as God would have you. In other words, they have a call from God to do this this is this is why they do this so so the 13 other men that i serve with have a call from god to do what god is is leading them to do then he says not for shameful gain but eagerly now in peter's day uh, these traveling teachers would come in to a community and they would rally uh, followers to themselves in that community for the sole purpose of fleecing them financially. And when that played out or people were on to them, they'd go to the next town over. This is part of what Peter is saying. He's saying that you should not want to be an elder because you can gain from it financially. And we've already seen 1 Peter five seventeen that certain elders at least could gain financially, find their support for living from the local church. But there's more to shameful gain than just finances. There are people who want to be elders at times in a local church because they want to gain the power of it. They they want to be a person who is viewed with prestige. They want to be able to be someone who lords their position over others and I've not been gifted with much I promise you that I mean I am average at best but one of the things that God has created for me a hyper alertness to is someone who wants a position strictly so they can be the dude and and God has used our elders to protect us from that that kind of thing so that's a shameful gain another thing is is that it's amazing how the ministry draws people who are not just broken, but really, really broken emotionally and relationally. You realize 75%, and this is old data, but it's the most recent in my mind. 75% of the people who go to seminary don't finish the ministry, don't finish, make it to retirement in ministry. You know why? It's because people just want to be loved, and they think, well, man... I want to be loved, and I love my pastor, and everybody loves their pastor, so I'll be that. And then their first you know, business meeting that goes wild, uh, suddenly they decide that God is calling them to do something else, you know, duh. That's the gain. They, they, they seek it for the gain of just having a better self-image. An elder is a steward of God's church and are in not looking to profit from it financially in status or in interpersonal well-being. And then finally, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. In other words, they're not heavy-handed. They're not saying to the church, because I said. They They are doing what they do as an example of obedience to Christ that the church could and should follow. So what's the benefit of doing this? I mean, why would anybody want to do that? Well, he says here... And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You think, okay, well, that's the benefit. What's that? Well, it's the same thing that everybody gets who follow Jesus in this life when Jesus returns. In other words, no eternal benefit for being an elder in a church. One of my favorite books of the Bible, which says volumes... About my whole outlook on life, which frequently is uh, not great, (laughs) is is the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah had a bad gig. I mean, he didn't like his job. He told God multiple times he didn't like his job. And God said, I'm I'm sorry, this is technical, what I'm about to say. But God said, suck it up, buttercup, to him multiple times through the, the book of Jeremiah. But there was a guy attached to Jeremiah named Baruch. Baruch was his scribe. And a scribe wrote down everything a prophet said. And, and usually, just think of it this way. Um, if you were trying to get an internship as somebody working new to the work world, you'd want to attach yourself to an up-and-comer so that you could, you know, uh, kind of track with their success. And uh, Baruch picked Jeremiah and was not pleased with his choice as jeremiah constantly poked the bear and was getting thrown in jail and having to run for his life all of that was happening for baruch as well and so baruch does what all of us do we go to god and we say god i don't like uh, what you're doing here i don't like who you've attached me to and uh, here's what god does god tells jeremiah what baruch's been praying <laughs> and so at their annual review um <laughs> in uh In Jeremiah chapter 45, Jeremiah says to Baruch, I know what you've been praying to God. Here's what God wants me to say to you. Suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) And then he says to him, here's your price for doing so. Because we always think, I mean, there's there's a little bit of prosperity gospel heretic in every one of us. We always think that, man, if we do extra special things from our perspective for God, we'll get extra special things. And so Baruch is clearly thinking, okay, well, God, what can you do for me? You know, how can you make this worth my while? And bear in mind that Jeremiah routinely prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem at the hand of the Babylonians. God said, here's a deal I'll make for you. The Babylonians won't kill you. great he's essentially saying to baruch you're not in this for what it gets you all of us every single one of us whether we are um, just in the local church anonymously laboring or whether you're an elder who's charged with god for leading the church all of us are doing what we do are being faithful for the sake of jesus period end And don't need or want or expect anything more than that because that's all there is, is Jesus. So what's the payoff for all this? What's the payoff for all this? Well, actually, I hope there's two for you. I've been in vocational ministry for 35 years. I don't know how on earth I have... uh, Spent 35 years doing this and uh, how I became as old as I am right now. But I've been doing this for 35 years. And I rack my brain. I can think of one instance, one instance of real church conflict that I've been a part of that wasn't because of leadership. One in 35 years. Uh, Leadership Journal is a magazine that has been read by Pastors for for many, many years. Years ago, they asked pastors, what's the number one cause of conflict in your church? 85% of them said debate concerning leadership. The reason that this is important is because if a church can figure this out, they can reduce their chances of conflict exponentially. So that's the first payoff to understand how important this is. Here's what I hope is a second payoff. It's the thing that's most important to me. Thank you. Now let me tell you thank you. For years, for years, Blue Valley's been at peace. And it's because, it's because we've understood the instruction of New Testament passage like Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. On your screen, you'll see it. It says, it's not in my brain, there we go, it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. That's hard maybe to hear, but it's talking about leaders in the church. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, I can read that and know that that's not telling you all how I you have to respond to me. I, I can read that knowing that that is also how I have to respond to the elders. Because you see, remember the whole partnership thing. I may be a leader of an elder, but I am an elder. And when we vote, I'm one vote, I'm one voice. And sometimes I don't win and it ticks me off. But when I don't win and it ticks me off, obey your leaders and submit to them. I trust God to have organized the church to vest in those elders an authority that is beyond mine. Obey your leaders and submit to them because they keep watch over your souls. To have a a certain responsibility as those who have to give account. And then look at this. Let them do this with joy and not groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. I've been here 14 and a half years. I hope to be here a while longer. (laughs) And uh, it's been a joy for me. It's been a joy for our elders to to lead you as well. I'm not an emotional guy. You know that. But I have deep feelings of appreciation when I, I think of how this dance of leading and following has taken place here at Blue Valley Baptist Church. You have made this a joy and not a groaning. That does not mean that it's always easy. I mean, I, just to be fully transparent, I mean, I, I, I have never been more emotionally, relationally, and spiritually spent than I am at this very moment. I mean, even after vacation. I've never been more. And our elders are the same way. I don't know any elder, I don't know any pastor of another church It does not feel the same way. Just to be fully transparent, the most hurtful moments of 35 years of ministry have taken place in the last 20 months for me. Things that If you were to ask me on retirement day, what hurt you the most did show up in the last 20 months. But the vast majority of what we have done together has been something that I hope has brought as much joy to you as what it has to me. And to give you an example of how that whole thing has worked and how how honored I am to be able to lead you, let me bring up an example that will... (laughs) you know it's a live wire to touch I'm going to touch it anyway because it gives a good example let's talk about masks last summer we felt like as elders in order for us to be faithful of first Peter chapter 2 which told us to honor the emperor that you know the the government was asking us to to wear masks when when we were indoors and uh, you know that's not challenging our autonomy or challenging our faith ability to be faithful to God, it's just something that's uncomfortable that they're asking us to do. And so the elders said that that we would follow the, the county's lead. And uh guess what? Not everybody thought that was a great idea. But the vast majority said, I'll do what they're asking me to because they have to give an account. And they put it on. So I knew every Sunday when you walked in wearing a mask And then when it got bad and you kept a mask on while I was preaching to you, that there were some out there that, it makes me sad, but thought it was ridiculous and unnecessary. But you did it anyway. So thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for trusting us. To not be perfect, but to do the best we can. That does not mean we have free reign. It does not mean if we begin to deviate from Scripture that you aren't commanded by God to call us on it. But when it's just things that we don't necessarily agree on, thank you. And I hope that that's a blessing uh, from you because you need to hear that from me from time to time. What a blessing you are. So there you go. Let's pray.